been a while. It's been a while. I think. I think it's the the heritage and the people. The heritage and the people. Hello and welcome to this episode of Promote the Hell Out of It. I am back after taking a bit of a break through April to catch up on some personal projects as well as it was my birthday at the start of the month, my 30th, and as you can imagine, I spent a bit of the month hungover from celebrating at the start. Uh, but I am back with it now and I am so excited to share my new guest review. I met Shen whilst travelling in Asia. He lives out in Penang, Malaysia and runs some of the coolest establishments that we saw out there. So I was really excited to chat to him about his progression, how he got to where he is now, uh, what he did right, what he did wrong. We also cover a load of other subjects including gentrification, um, whether it's becoming a problem in Penang and obviously touch on, on a bunch of other stuff. Um, but I was really excited to catch up with him because he is a really good guy, interesting to talk to and has done some, some incredible stuff including make some of our favourite ever cocktails. He runs a, a cocktail venue out there, I won't tell you where it is because finding out is part of the fun. Um, but he, you do get some really cool pins, I will try and see if this focuses and doesn't fuck up the entire video. But yeah, you get some really cool pins. You get nice and drunk, and in our case, we met some of the most amazing people that we, that we did in our time in Asia. Well, we met some cool people in a lot of places, uh, but Shen and a lot of the people that we met at his venue, Backdoor Bodega, we'll talk more about it in the video, uh, were incredible. And in fact, uh, my partner Jane celebrated her 30th birthday whilst out in Penang, and some of the people that we'd met through... Backdoor Bodega actually came out to her 30th birthday and celebrated with us. So yeah, anyway, without further ado, this is the conversation I had with the wonderful chef. Enjoy. It's been a while, it's been a while. I think, I think it's the, the heritage and the people. 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 Hello. Hi. Shen, it's really good to be talking to you. How are you it's, doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a while. It has. I can't believe it's been like almost over six months now, I think. Yeah, it's really quick, man. <laughs> it, goes, it goes fast. It goes fast. Where, where in so, the world are you guys right now? We are currently in the UK. Oh, nice. Uh, pet sitting, looking after people's pets. As a way of, uh, yeah, we, so we stay in people's houses, look after their pets whilst they're on holiday, and it means we don't have to pay any rent, which is great. That's nice. That's like the ideal life. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It's a good way to, to, to travel around the UK, because otherwise it, it gets really expensive. It is, yeah. Um, but we're looking forward to, to traveling again at some point. I think we'll stay here for about a year, All right. and, then, uh, and then head off somewhere again, because... Right. Uh, the food and the weather isn't, uh, isn't the greatest. Oh, well, you've got to compromise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You've got to compromise. It's, it's nice. I get to be back. I get to see friends, make some music. Um, and then I that's want true. to eat good food and have some nice weather. Uh, true. And we've been thinking about Malaysia a lot the past few ah. weeks <laughs> because uh, it's definitely got some of the best food uh, and some of the best weather. So on all fronts, <laughs> no it's friends, the place right? to be. Yep, yep I don't disagree. Yeah, <laughs> it's the place to be. And uh, especially Penang is, yes. uh, is a very special place. Penang misses uh, you guys, man. Uh, and, we miss, and we miss Penang. We miss ah. Penang. And there's, there's something about, about it which is it makes it stand out so much from the rest of Malaysia as well. Because uh, Kuala Lumpur... It's got some cool things in it, but mm -hmm. uh, the vibe in Penang is very special. It's different. It is, it is. is that, do you reckon that's because, because of the tourism or because of the actual 
uh, people from Penang? I think I think it's the the heritage and the people, and that in turn leads to you know having its own unique tourism, and yeah, I guess that's how it it grew organically from from um, the city that it was like you know one of the first cities in Malaysia uh, when it was founded by uh, Sir Francis Light. So I think it's different in a sense because it's small. So it's kind of like Singapore where, you know, when it, although it's small, but it's easy to manage and people are more connected with, with each other. So yeah. that's why I guess that it, there's a different feel about Penang that you just can't find anywhere else in Malaysia. Absolutely. I think it's, it's really easy to get to Penang and very quickly establish the places you like and yes. uh, go back to them a lot, which could seem maybe boring to other people, but because of the people you're meeting and how quickly things change in Penang, it's actually yeah. quite exciting. And there's something about the week finishing where I just remember looking forward to the next weekend <laughs> so you could, you could hang out with the same people again. That's true, that's true. Which is it's great, it's great. And it's, and it's one of the only places where we've gone and made such a close friendship group so quickly as well, um, which is... Which is I'd like to say is due to to Penang itself, but I think is probably largely due to you and and your businesses because uh, <laughs> you are very good at creating an incredibly nice atmosphere that connects people. It's it's a small I mean it's a small space it's a small business it's easy to manage I guess that's why you you get that it's not it's not on purpose it's just so the way <laughs> it it happens to be and then you know it's me being there the whole time so I guess that's why you know you kind of get like the personal touch and you know the the entire vibe that I usually bring with me I guess to in all the things that I do yeah yeah because yeah, it's not just one thing obviously and, and, and I do want to sort of go back through because you're involved in so much amazing stuff that I want to touch on. But obviously, I met you at, at, one, of your, at one of your businesses. But as you say, the atmosphere that you bring is, is in all of these things. There's a very specific, a very specific you-ness to it, if that makes any sense. I, I guess, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a gift and a curse. In, in, in some way, it's, it also means that I can't really let go of things like whether it's the clothing business or the bar, you know, I, I have to be there. I have to be the one doing the things. Otherwise, it wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, that's, yeah, so. that's absolutely true. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. So I'm forever you, married to the job. Yeah. And I guess at, some, at times it can, it can be overbearing. Like if things yeah. go wrong in two or three of the things at once, yes. uh, it yes. must be a bit of a pain. Yes. Um, uh, it, not, it's not like it, does, it doesn't happen. It happens from time to time. Yeah. But of yeah. course, <laughs> of course, I can I can relate to that. I can relate to that fully. I yeah. was joking with, with my partner Jane about the fact that every time I I book in to record music, mm-hmm. something goes wrong that week. Either we lose <laughs> a client, or we gain a client, and there's lots more work to do, or something yeah. bad happens in the family. And ah. you you can plan ahead and try and be organized, but no but, matter how well you plan, it's going to yeah, go wrong. it happens. I can relate. I can relate. It's just like like the past year when, uh, when like the bar was doing really well, uh, somehow the the t-shirts weren't doing so well. So instead of you know <laughs> making like you know enjoying the best the best of both businesses, uh, I end up having to work harder on one so that I could support the other. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> kind of how it how it turned out to be. And and then it's it's strange because the times when things are calm, mm-hmm. you're almost not prepared for them. Like you yeah. haven't planned a holiday, you haven't planned to chill out and just relax. You yeah, were prepared to work, so you don't enjoy them fully. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. Okay, so I want to to work my way back with you through sure. through the whole process of of all the businesses you've been involved with, so that we can uh, try and get an idea of uh, what motivates you to do so much because. <laughs> uh, I think that will be the question on most people's minds when we start to go through this. Sure. But I think a good place to start would be obviously with uh, the Swagger Salon because uh, I was reading the backstory and trying to mem- remember the conversations we'd had over six yeah. months ago yep. whilst uh, quite drunk. So that was a bit <laughs> difficult. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but there's some very cool aspects to how the Swagger Salon started. 
So could you maybe tell us a bit about how you got going? Sure. Um, I'm pretty sure this is something that I've said so many times, but I'll try <laughs> to make it as uh, detailed as possible. So back, back in uh, 2009, um, I had this... Actually, this was in 2007. 2007, I was in a different world back then. I was, um, I was in music. I was uh, heavily involved in the hip-hop scene in, in Malaysia. KL, uh, so it was during one of the one of these shows that I was performing at. Uh, I used to rap. Um, that I decided to take a blank chocolate cap and I scribbled the word uh, "lansi" across the cap. Now this "lansi" actually stands for "cocky" in the local lingo. Uh, it's not. It's not the. Yeah, it's not the nicest way of of um, describing someone, but you know, it's an attitude thing. So, attitude's yeah, so, good. Attitude's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, it's basically attitude, right? So, I, I scribbled the word Lansi across the cap, uh, and then this was in 2007, and um, I think it didn't hit me until two years later in 2009 that I thought that, you know, this could actually be something bigger. Like, it could be a brand. It could be a clothing brand because of how people would say, hey, nice cap, you know, like, even though I just scribbled it on with a marker pen. So, um, <laughs> towards the end of my uh, university days, I, because that was when, you know, the panic kicked in where you got to find a job, and yep. make your own living. Yeah, so that's when I thought if I, if I wanted to make this happen, it's got to be now. So I basically um, produced a bunch of caps. So what I did was I went online. Thank, I mean, I, I owe my whole life to, to uh, Jack Ma because of Alibaba. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked up Alibaba. I found a cap, a cap supplier all the way in Bangladesh. Now this dude, I mean, I found a few others in China as well, but the difference was these other companies, they're huge, right? So they go by, by the thousands, like, oh yeah, you need to make 5,000 caps, 3,000 caps. Yeah. But this, this dude in, in Bangladesh, he is, his, he's a small business. And he, was, he basically um, welcomed me with open arms, like, sure, you want to do 50 pieces, we'll do it. You want to do 100 pieces, we'll do it. He was as eager to make it happen as I was. So uh, I managed to get like uh, 100 or 200 caps done from him with a very small um, amount of money spent, right? So I received my caps like two months later, and that's when the problem started. Like I didn't know how to sell them. So I started approaching all the other streetwear shops in, in Malaysia, but the problem was back then, local brands weren't really a thing. Uh, it was all the, the international brands, like the, the like Supreme was starting to be a thing back then. Yeah. And yeah, Nike SBs and uh, a lot of all these uh, clots, uh, you know, all these other different streetwear brands that were international but not local. Yeah. So no one, yeah, no one really took my brand seriously. What, what were you saying to them to try and convince them? I was like, because I think it was also me being, you know, my, because I was a rapper, right? Rappers are usually egoistic. They think very highly <laughs> of themselves. So I just went up to these shops and I'm like, hey, this is my brand. Would you like to sell them in your store? They're like, no, I've never heard of this before. Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that was a roadblock right there. And then um, at that point, I think also because I wasn't really a business person back then, I just wanted to sell like these caps that I had. Um, I just sort of like, I didn't really plan out a plan of how do I solve this. I just, I think I just somehow got myself a job and thought, okay, I'll figure this out later. And I got myself a job in advertising, right? Uh, and then it was only like about half a year later that, I realized that I really should sell my caps because it was being, um, it was in the way, basically, yeah, of, yeah. of my little, my tiny room. Um, so then <laughs> I, yeah, so then I thought I, I would, since no one wanted to sell my caps in their store, I should just set up my own store online because it was free, right? So I set up an online yes. store, I called it the Swagger Salon, and <laughs> yeah, I sold the caps. So the Swagger Salon, the concept was basically, you go to a salon to beautify yourself, right? Whether it's nails or your hair or your face. So this is, from a fashion point of view, so it's a swagger salon, and basically to sell nice clothing. So that's how the swagger salon came about as an online store to sell my caps, which I had no idea how to sell otherwise. That's amazing. That's amazing. It's so good. And it's funny you were saying about trying trying to sell your your things to actual shops to start off with. There's yeah. a, a documentary we were watching on Netflix. I I can't remember the name right now but i will research it and and put it in the notes for everyone to click on but, uh, one of the stories is about someone that makes some trainers and was going from from store to store trying to get them in and had exactly the same reception to it as you did like basically who the hell are you um, yeah we don't know who you are so what he did was he made some like really nice looking brochures 
that made it look like he was a professional setup company with loads of stock. He didn't have any of this stock at all. And then went into the went into the shops and basically bigged himself up to look like a company and oh, said nice. that he already had loads of orders from from loads of other shops that didn't nice. exist. Basically yep. lied yep. his way through yep. and managed to get into all these stores. But Good I time. think that uh that without lying a little bit in that situation, getting that that's first true. sale is going to be that's tough. True. That's true. That's entrepreneurship right there. Definitely. That's why, that's why online is good because for some reason, which uh, I'm not sure is always the best thing, but for some reason people are more trustworthy when your website looks good than when yeah. your product does. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I, I didn't... I think I basically made use of a lot of free... Uh, it wasn't free. No, I hosted my site on e- uh, on BitCartel, so I had to pay for it. Yeah. But I kind of had to force myself to learn how to how to do simple HTML for the landing page. I remember, so you know, you go to circuslaw.com, you click on the the landing page, and then it's like, oh, shop here, just one button, and then you go in, and that's the e-commerce store that I that I subscribed for. I think that was how I kind of started the store. No, that's great, and I think I was reading on the site that your initial investment was like. 5,000 Malaysian ringgit, is that right? Yeah, yeah. That was basically all the money that I had <coughs> in my bank account. I still remember because I, I had to close my account because I was withdrawing everything from that, oh, from that account. Yeah, so I, just, and I kind of wasted a few hundred ringgit because I did a really stupid thing. Uh, so I had to pay the supplier through Western Union, which was dodgy as hell, <laughs> right? I mean, like, it, from inexperience, you wouldn't send money to someone that you've never met or really known through Western Union because that's not getting anything back if anything goes wrong. But I Yeah, not I, unless you know you're doing something dodgy already. Like Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So I went to I went to Western Union. Um because through our communications, <laughs> um the cost the production cost of the caps were quoted to me in uh, US dollars, right? So I assumed that I had to change my currency to US dollars. Oh, no. uh, so I, I went to the money changer. I I changed my money to US dollars. I went to the Western Union and said like, oh no, you don't give us US dollars. You give us ringgit and we'll convert it for you. So I had to go back to the money changer, lose a couple of hundred bucks to change back to ringgit. Oh, <laughs> and yeah, so that was the, the initial experience. Well, and thankfully, that's a learning club. And thankfully that the, the factory exists. <laughs> it's not the scam. Or yeah, anything. exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Just for, for our UK listeners, that's 5,000 Malaysian ringgit is about 1,000 pounds, yeah. um, which I think is, is funny because so many people think you need so much money to invest into something. And yet, it, it's proof that savings like that are useful and you can do a lot if you, if you put the money in the right place. And I know you said you, you lost some money converting it. <laughs> But you obviously had a, had a product that worked, and you'd had that product lying around for quite a while. So, so well, you've done your research. That that's true. I think it's also because of uh, a couple of factors that you, you know I can I can thank was because uh, you know New Era caps. New Era are those fitted yeah. caps, right? Um, back then, uh, in two thousand nine in Malaysia, there weren't any official New Era distributors in Malaysia. So nice. the, the only new era caps you had were either bootleg or they were really expensive. They were sold by res, uh, resellers and things like that. And because I was in the hip-hop scene, so new, new era was the thing, right? You got yep. the freshest caps and things like that. So I, I decided to be the bridge in that, in that uh, market where uh, because bootleg new eras, they are like, uh, how much would they cost? They would be really cheap, but then they are fake, right? And the original yeah, yeah. ones would be like almost 200 ringgit. 180 to 100 ringgit. So when I came in, I sold my caps at like 100, uh, 110, 100 ringgit. Nice. So it was a really nice, healthy margin for me. And also it was cheaper compared to original caps. So and I think I came in at the right time because there weren't any other local brands yet. Um, the local brands that were around were a bit uh, different from the ones that, are, that people know these days. Like back then, it was like Tribe. It was uh, Radioactive. These were designer brands. Like the the... People behind these brands, they were designers. And you know how graphic de- designers always seem to have their own clothing brands, no matter what? Yeah. Yeah, so these are graphic designers who, who started their own clothing brands. They weren't streetwear brands, like the ones that we have in Malaysia today, or, you know, that are on, 
on the same par as the hundreds or yeah. uh, Supreme or Palace and all that. You know, it, it's not in the same circle. So I guess I was at the right place at the right time for the, the brand to kind of blow up back then. That's, it's funny because you basically identified a gap in the market and created a product for it. But had you had, you had any formal business trading before then at all? No, I would say the only thing I tried selling was my album, which really, really sucked. <laughs> which I you need to terrible. send me because I really want to listen to it, obviously. <laughs> uh, I, I have a lot of copies lying around because unlike the caps, they didn't sell so well. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should try again now. Like with, with what you've learned, it could do really well now. It could but then like again, <laughs> this isn't a product that you know I would really oversell, unlike the caps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. I get you. Uh, the other thing I loved about that was that you originally wanted to get rid of the caps because they were in your way. Yeah, uh, that's that's great. My dad actually bugged me about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I he, think was like, that's... <clears throat> he, he was yeah, like, he was like, oh, I, I, my, my friend's daughter has a block shop. You know, I can ask him to ask her to sell it for you. I'm like, no, no, no. I just, I'll, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's funny because I think some of the, the best businesses uh, come from identifying that gap in the market, which you obviously did, uh, solving a problem, which you had because you had a load of gear, um, <laughs> and also something you love, which was obviously the, the hip-hop influence you had in all of that. That's um, true. One of, one of the really good examples I like of starting a business is it was caused by a similar problem to what you mentioned. Someone that had bought a, a load of music equipment, uh, had it everywhere because he played in a band, had stopped playing in in the band by this point, had a partner, and the partner kept on getting annoyed that this music equipment was just lying around. He wasn't <laughs> using it. It's just being a nuisance. Um, yeah. So what he did was start renting it out. And obviously, you can get so much money for renting out this equipment, yeah. and it's not in your way half the time, that yeah. within like a few weeks, his, his partner wasn't that annoyed at, uh, at having this equipment anymore, which is great. It is, it is. <laughs> so... From starting the Swagger Salon as a, an online business to having a, a physical store, mm-hmm. what was the, the process there? Did it instantly kick off and, and it was an instant success or did you have to sort of mess around with it for a while? It wasn't, it wasn't something that I intended to do because I think uh, starting it as an online store and realizing that how much I save compared to having a physical outlet, and you know, like the business, it worked as an online as an online business. I didn't really feel the need to have a physical outlet because to me, it was just extra money that's going to be wasted, yeah. right? Um, however, I think that was towards our fifth year as a brand, as a business, and uh, I had this opportunity from the guys behind the Hinbas Depot. You remember Hinbas Depot, right? Yep. Yep. So. At that point, I think uh, my landlord, basically, uh, the guy who would be my landlord, they just kind of acquired the whole piece of land a couple of years back, and then they were looking to to give it a new lease on life. Uh. So I was one of the first few people he talked to uh, regarding uh, renting a retail space. So he gave me a really, really good rate. And okay. um, at that point, I was also at a crossroad where I didn't know uh, how to proceed with the brand because... Um, there were a lot of other brands coming up at that point. It was already five years into the business. This was 2013, 2014. And I guess I thought it was a good opportunity that, you know, I could, I would, I can give the brand something to, to to show, you know, like people would see it. This is not just an online brand. It's actually a proper clothing brand. They have a flagship store. They have a boutique. It's not just one of those online things that, you know, will fade out after a couple of years. So I took on the offer and I, uh, I, I kind of got blindsided by the cheap rental because I didn't <laughs> really know how much renovation was going to cost me. So it took a lot of money out oh. for the renovation. But uh, at least I got, I got the shop done. Um, and then uh, also thanks to like a couple of uh, high school friends who were doing interior design at the time, uh, their solution. So basically they uh, came to me and said, like, hey, why don't we just work out? We are, we're new. You want to open your shop, so you know we'll design it for you. We get it in our portfolio, and you have a very nice shop. So yeah, I said yes to that. So that's how the Swagger Salon uh, got designed and got sold out to what it is today. 
And yeah, so we, we opened our doors uh, on December 6, 2014. And uh, ever since then, it's been five years, almost five years now. Five years and no regrets? No regrets. Uh, without the Swagger Salon, there wouldn't be backdoor bodega. Hey, just saying. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. And we will, we will move on to backdoor bodega in a second. <laughs> I, think, I think we've, we've covered the Swagger Salon quite well, and I will obviously link to it, put photos up of stuff, because uh, it does stand out. It's, I think before we'd met you, we'd walked past the Swagger Salon when it was closed and been like, this is somewhere we need to come. Uh, right. It looks good, and all the, the things you sell are, are awesome. I want them all. I wish I earned more money so I could buy them all. Thank you. But everyone <laughs> should, should definitely go on the site, so I will link to that. Um, so what came next? What came next? Because you're involved in a lot of stuff, and, uh, and it can't have all just exploded at <laughs> once, surely. Yeah, I, I think besides the clothing and the bar, because uh, I was in advertising, like I said, I when I just got my caps done, I got offered a job. So I was in advertising for for three years. <coughs> it, back then, it seemed like a long time, but now in, in context, when you look at it, it's only three years out of the past 10. So it was yeah. really a short period of time. But my time, my short stint in advertising really uh, shaped who I am today because of a few things like... Uh, how much of a perfectionist like my my ex boss was right <laughs> so he drilled into me like you know you you have to be this you have to be that you know like 50 ideas 50 ideas 50 different taglines and things like that right you know when to not write too much when to uh, punctuate don't use big words all those things just kind of went because we worked till we work like 18-hour days every day, even Whoa. during weekends, back, back in advertising. So it was a really good training for me to be the person who I am today in the things that I do. So I took into details. Uh, I, sorry, I, took, I, I basically took all the little details um, seriously, all the things that normal people usually wouldn't care about. But I yeah. guess, yeah, all these little things made me who I am today and made the brands or the businesses that I have what they are today. That's and... On the side, I still get uh, like writing and designing jobs. So I still do that from time to time. So I have like, like, like it's kind of like, you know, how, how you and I both are. We have a lot of little things doing, going on, you know, yeah. jobs here, writing here, design there. So it's basically how it is for me as well. Um, it, it helps. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say no. I mean, I'm not at that position to say, oh, yeah, I don't, need, I don't need this job. But, you know, if it's extra money, extra income, like why not, since I have the time to do it, so okay, you know, let's just add this to the portfolio. For sure, for sure, and it's, there's, there's both those aspects to it, obviously, the, the money side is one that is, it's always necessary to think about because uh, yes. we need the extra money, of course, but I think when you have people who do the kind of stuff we do, who have their hands in lots of things, there must be an element of uh, not wanting to get bored as well there yeah. must be an element of of wanting to be distracted by by different things as opposed to using all of your time on just on one, one project correct that's true that's exactly how that was exactly how i uh came up with backdoor bodega because um i don't know if you know this i don't know if i told you this but the uh the name for backdoor bodega basically came up as <coughs> a a it was because i thought it was a very nice logo yeah. You know, like the, yeah, so I came up with the name. I didn't really, I can't really remember if I thought about the bar idea first or did I come up with the branding for the bar first. But I remembered really well that because I came up with this really nice logo, I told myself I need to make this happen to not let this go to waste. So that was kind of how the whole thing came about. And then um, having that extra space behind the store uh, uh, kind of helped because um, there weren't any other cocktail bars in Penang at that period of time. So this was in 2016, two years after we opened the Swagga Salon uh, flagship in Georgetown. That's so so uh, I went back to Penang for, uh, I think for my staff's birthday. Uh, so it was the 21st birthday, we went out for drinks. And then it was at that point I realized that there weren't really any cocktail bars in Penang, apart from Mishmash, who, which has been there for a couple of, like yeah. since 2013, I think. Yeah, so, so it hit me, like, you know, I could use this space as a little bar for for my friends because I don't really drink beer because uh, I cannot physically burp so I don't drink yeah. <laughs> carbonated drinks or that beers. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's why I'm a cocktail person. 
<laughs> and um, yeah, so it was basically a space for me to to make drinks for myself and for friends. And friends started bringing friends, and they brought their friends, and strangers came, and I had to make it into a proper business with proper operating hours and proper menus, and that's how it is today. And I I like what you said earlier about we always find things to distract ourselves and not doing the same thing. It's because I think it's because of that theory itself. I find so much joy in doing what I do for Backdoor Bodega because I've been doing the same thing for the Swagger Salon for so many years. Like at that point, it was like eight years, seven or eight years. Yeah. So it was a nice change. Uh, I think about, I mean, I get to do different things creatively. So now they are in the form of cocktails and recipes and, and garnishes and menus instead of t-shirt designs and caps and, you know, things like that. So yeah. it was a really refreshing change. And I guess it really helped me creatively to have something else to work on. That's not clothing. That's the thing. You also definitely put your design influence into Backdoor because obviously it's all over the pins. It's the design, your photography. You can tell that that's something you love, but it's a completely different creative project. And and sometimes it's nice to... It's not always that you need to do something completely different. It's just sometimes looking at it from a different angle and working on something that's not related. Yeah. it's. I guess in a way, it's it, it really... How do I put this? It's kind of related, and like everything, like from the start, like from from the beginning, I could I would say, uh, when you know how we all realize at one point in our teenage lives that this is what I really love doing. Yeah. Like okay. for me back then, it was uh, graffiti art. So yeah. I started with graffiti art, and then from graffiti art, that's how I embraced the the whole hip hop culture. And then there's graffiti art, there's uh, there's the whole rapping thing going on at the same time. And then it was because of graffiti art, I told myself that, okay, I want to do graphic design uh, when I finish high school. So that was how the whole idea of enrolling for, for graphic design came about. It was because of my love for graffiti art. And then, um, uh, you know how graffiti art and, and rap are part of hip-hop. And then from there, I get the inspiration to do caps. And from caps, <laughs> the clothing came along. And then after the clothing... From the store, you have the bar and to what I'm doing today. So it all kind of links back uh, to every single thing that I've, I've had an interest in doing in one yeah. way or another. Basically, it's because you're completely gangster. It's all because, <laughs> that's, that's why it all relates back to that. You've got graffiti, hip-hop, cocktail. I mean, come on, completely gangster. That's it. It's, it I wouldn't call it it's, it's pretty much things that an Asian parent wouldn't really approve of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I can definitely relate to that too as the son of Jehovah's Witnesses. I think that uh, <laughs> most of my mm-hmm. branding stems from the person I became so that my parents wouldn't approve of it. Yeah, yep. uh, <laughs> yeah, that's along true. those lines. And obviously the, the whole graffiti thing um, is kind of perfect with you being in Penang because it's obviously got such a, a huge graffiti influence. There's so much going on. And I know that it's not all maybe the best graffiti ever, but there's still a big scene there, which is uh, is very cool and must have helped you start along that path, right? Yeah, I I was just looking at uh, this newspaper cutting that I had in my room in Penang the other day. Uh, It was dated July July two thousand. Sorry, July two thousand and four. So that's fifteen years ago, and it was a it was a front page picture of a, an ugly ass graffiti that me and my friends did. So basically we sprayed like the word Penang. So kind in a way, we were kind of the first people to put Penang street art, uh, inverted commas, on, on the front page of the That's newspaper awesome. before, before the, 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 street, the Penang street art that we all know right now. <laughs> yeah, made it, right? And you're so, saying was, it's not gangster. Come on, come on. It, we were young. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was fun, like when you didn't have to think about the consequences back then. Was the newspaper like, "This is cool" or "This is terrible"? That was exactly what it said. It said, um, "It said art or vandalism." That was exactly what it said. I will, I will look it. I will scan a copy of that paper. I'll upload yes, it one please. day. One that, of these that days. That would be great. That would be great. I want to see that. I see that. That's it's really ugly, though. The graffiti. I'm telling you first. That's that's fair enough. I understand that, but um. It's funny because obviously Penang's embraced graffiti art so much since then. Yeah, it's come a long way. And uh, it's not, it's in quite a short period of time from what you're saying. It's not, it's not taken, it's like in the last 15 or so years. 
Yeah, it's 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 not it's not like Europe, you know, where graffiti like it's still it still is a, a hated a little bit thing, you know, like at this point of time. I get it. But in Penang, it's 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 kind of like I think it's also because of a herd mentality thing, where if majority of the people accept it as an art form, everybody is inclined to say yes, that is street art. I got I got into a really heated argument with someone um, online a couple of years <laughs> back because uh, you know you know how. Um, the rise of street art in Penang is due to um, like uh, like foreign artists, right? Yeah, uh, yep. that, that that did all the huge nice murals. And at that point, uh, there was I think a couple of disgruntled local uh, artists who you know just kind of like, yeah, when we did it, you guys said it was you know it's vandalism, but when. Um, a foreigner does it, you know, it's suddenly you all are like, oh, this is street art, this is beautiful. So I, I was on kind of on the uh, other guy's side because I know how it felt like. But I, I think it stemmed from a news article that um, one, of the, one of the revered art pieces was uh, painted over or it was vandalized, right? And I actually said that, you know, that's what street art is. Yeah, you know, yeah, and then a lot of people came bashing me. You know, they started getting really personal. Like, yeah, it's because of people like you. That's why, you know, like, uh, you know, this, the street art is is ruined and this and that. All oh, you're just jealous, blah blah blah. And I'm like, dude, graffiti. I mean, like, street art is meant to be uh, organic in that sense, where you know, it it gets painted over, it gets you know, it gets refreshed. Someone comes by and does something else. That's how it lives on. But these people don't get it. They just see it as a thing that you're supposed to worship. Yeah, it's, there's so many elements to this. There's the first element, which is that at the end of the day, it's, it's an opinion as well. Like, yeah. it's a conversation and people get so angry about, about the different mentalities. But yes. I think that a lot of it comes out of respect as well because I agree with you 90%, I'd say. I think that street art is supposed to be organic and covered over and change over time. At the same time, I think that street artists who are good learn to respect what to draw over and what not to draw over. Yes. Like, yes. Don't, have- don't, if you can't draw, if you're not good at doing graffiti, don't draw over a masterpiece with, your, with your crab or don't just tag, <laughs> it, tag it with, I was here. Like that's yeah. that's not good enough. So that's I think dis- that's disrespectful. Yeah, that's disrespectful. So I think there's there's the element of both. As your work progresses, you get the privilege of choosing your space and and taking up yep. graffiti. That at the end of the day is fading away most of the time. Correct, because it's unless you're a Banksy. Yeah, that's, well, yeah, that's that's what I mean. <laughs> but that's that's what I mean about respecting your art. If you see a Banksy, yeah. probably don't draw over it. <laughs> yeah. That's true. I mean, like we, we have this we have this unwritten rule back then whereby if you really because like you know walls in general they don't belong to the graffiti artist although yeah. the work of art is on you. So the the way to do it is if you really want to use this wall uh, for your graffiti, uh, uh, if someone else has already painted over it, you apply a fresh coat of paint over the whole wall. Only then do you do your work. That's, that's the correct that's way cool. of doing it. That's yeah, cool. that's the yeah. unwritten rule that we have here. That's see. Yeah, it's those kind of things that obviously your opinion stems from knowing all those unwritten rules and knowing how it works in your area, whilst other people who don't respect that can easily ruin things and uh, yes. and tread over other people's toes sometimes. Yes. So, <laughs> from graffiti uh, on to because I still got a couple of businesses you're involved in that I want that I want to mention before we run out of time. Um, <laughs> sure. And it's obviously Norm, which is my introduction to everything you do was through Norm. Yes, you were there. For, yeah, you were there first and then to Backdoor and then to... I, was, I didn't even intend to go to Norm. I was it was there. because of taps. <laughs> they yeah, were I, was looking, I was looking <laughs> for taps. Yeah, a craft beer place. And uh, they'd closed like a few weeks before, I think. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'll go into Norm and... They do cocktails, so that's perfect. I had a it cocktail, is. yeah, and Jane had a chai tea, I think, yeah, um, or a matcha. Gonna, yeah, yeah. We're gonna yeah. thank thank Taps for that. Like, oh, but coincidentally, Taps just opened a, a permanent outlet in Penang just last month. So yeah, you know, the next time you're back, craft beers, 
are going to be easily accessible. So yeah, taps. Taps is the reason that I uh, that I found. And then Dorm. you found backdoor bodega. Yes. And then I found backdoor bodega. Exactly. Yes. So what what was the reason for getting involved in Norm then? You're you've already got a clothing store. You're selling hats. You've got clothing. You've got backdoor bodega, <laughs> and now and now coffee. Apart apart from the the side of me like the the egoistic side of me that wants to make sure that you know I'm not a one trick pony that I wanted to prove <laughs> that I could do something else besides clothing. Um, Norm was basically uh, it initially stemmed as one of a one of my design jobs actually. You know how I've been how I usually get like design freelance design work and and writing work. So I yeah. I do branding for brands from time to time. So basically, Norm was one of those things that. It didn't start as Norm, actually. It was more of a, uh, it was a, a cafe branding job uh, that kind of, I just decided to take a share instead of uh, a fee, I guess, for the branding. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I became a partner for, for, the, for the cafe. But uh, how Norm came about was actually uh, quite coincidental as well because the, the team that form norm was uh, supposed to be for another project uh, that didn't really work out. Uh, and then, <laughs> it was also for coffee, uh, basically. But the Saw Emporium, where you guys were at to look for taps. So the yep. Saw Emporium, um, the, the guy who's behind the Saw Emporium, Tarin, he's a Singaporean guy, but he, his family owns the Saw Emporium, the land that the Saw Emporium sits on. So it was his kind of his pet project. Um, to do this whole F&B thing, uh, which was like a multi-vendor uh, food concept, right? So yeah, yeah. he engaged me to do the branding for this project as well as his, his company. And towards the, when the project was supposed to kick off, uh, he told me that he one of the guys who was supposed to do the beverage stand kind of uh, went AWOL on him and didn't want to be part of the project. So he asked me if I knew any alternatives. And so I wrote the team that I was supposed to be working on for the other project in and I told them, hey guys, do you want to you wanna do this thing first while we work on the bigger project, waiting for the bigger project to happen? And they said yes. So that's kind of how Norm came about uh, as a placement. Norm and Quenchester, the juice bar inside next to Taps in the, the store on Porin. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. So that's basically how Norm came about. And uh, <laughs> I um, kind of I kind of put in the concept of uh, cocktails by night, coffee by day, cocktails by night, because since we already have, like, I have the knowledge of, like, running a bar, so why not make full use because no one's going to drink coffee at, at 9 p.m., right? So, course, yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of how the coffee by day, cocktails by night concept came about. That's great. And obviously then, when I when I first went to it, I went to it at the Soar Emporium, um, and it closed down, but you've got a, a new venue now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it was quite coincidental that we happened to have uh, that space rented a couple of months before the closure of the Saw Emporium. And so we just kind of moved uh, moved over. But of course, it cost a bit more. So it's like kind of like whatever money we made during our course of time at the Saw Emporium, we basically had to put it into the new place. So we're like kind of starting from zero again. No, but, but that makes complete sense. How's it, how's it gone since, since opening at the new place? It's, it's, it's done well. It's done better than than before, I would say, because uh, uh, perhaps like the location is uh, a bit. I wouldn't say it's as it. I mean, like it's also not very not very easy to find because it's still behind a row of uh, shop houses. But <laughs> I guess it's an independent, standalone uh, a unit, so it kind of has its own personality, its own vibes that people really like. Because back then we were part of a bigger building, right? So this is like a, a standalone, independent little place that people really like to come and, and hang out. That's awesome. That's awesome. You haven't been to the new place, right? No, I, I definitely want to. I, I've seen photos. It looks mm -hmm. amazing. I'm waiting for you guys and to come by. I obviously miss, uh, miss the coffee and cocktail. So I am excited. Like I say, we talk about going back constantly. And uh, I think Penang is in the top sort of three places that we want to that we want to go back to and Thank spend you. as much time as possible there. Um, I'm pretty sure that next time we go, we'll do the same thing and probably stay two, three months because visa-wise, it's, it's very easy and I don't think there's anywhere we'd rather be than a, 
something, hanging out with you every Thursday through to, uh, yeah, basically fun. every night you're open, we are there. That is, that is the idea. That, that, would be, that would be fun, man. That would be, like, I mean, that we, it's a bit different now. Like, there's, I think there's a bit more life now um, at, at Backdoor and basically at the, the place where we're at, like, Himba people, because I think, uh, oh, towards the end of last year, things started picking up for, uh, for the area in terms of okay, not awesome. just for us, but yeah, for, for everyone else. So it's a bit more lively now. Uh, like our night, even for Backdoor, it's, uh, it's a really consistent crowd. We have a good mix of uh, tourists who I have no idea how they found out about the place. And, uh, <laughs> I swear and we didn't regular. tell that many people, I promise. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and our regular. So uh, the, the vibe at Backdoor is really, uh, really lively now. Like It's uh, not like back then when it was really chill, but Thursdays and, and Sundays are still pretty pretty cool, pretty chill. Uh, Joseph comes around every every Thursday like, nice. without fail. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? Where else would you be on a Thursday night? That's true. <laughs> Other than yeah, having oh, cocktails. Oh, and, and you can come have uh, craft beer because uh, Taps has this new place in Penang now, the permanent spot. In, oh, in nice. Penang. Yeah, so they opened their own spot um, in, in Tanjung Bunga. So craft beers, if you're sick of cocktails. <laughs> no, so, so craft beer is Monday to Thursday, Monday to Wednesday, and, and cocktails Thursday to Sunday. Sounds like a, sounds sounds like like a, a really unhealthy <laughs> diet. <laughs> a really good way to spend your week. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other place that I wanted to mention and ties into everything is uh, you're doing a collaboration, right, with Dad's Woods. Yeah. Uh, furniture shop, boudoir. How did boudoir. that start? Because it looks absolutely stunning. The photography <laughs> looks beautiful. The, the um, place, the place is really nice. It's a, it was a project that kind of, it started when okay. So the guys from that woods, they are uh, this uh, the brother and sister, two of them. They were customers at my bar, and they run their own uh, furniture store uh, called that woods that that specializes in wood slabs, uh, like dining tables and chairs and stuff like that in in town, right? So they recently kind of acquired this space, this nice, uh, I wouldn't say, I think mid-century, mid, mid-century terrace house uh, in, in Kalawai, Plauticus, near Gurney. And they did a really good job in, in uh, renovating and transforming the place. And it was supposed to be like an additional showroom for their couch and um, mid-century furniture. So okay. they wanted to add that little touch of having a bar in it. So, you know, when people come, check out their couches, you know, you sit there, someone can serve you cocktails. So that was their grand idea. And they came to me and asked me if I would be interested in setting up the menu for them, which I, I did. So uh, I, I did a menu for them. Uh, and I think at some point after like a month or two of them running it themselves, they realized like they really need someone to who can run a bar to do it. And they asked me if I would like to just take over the bar side of things, you know, uh, of boudoir. Nice. Yeah, and I, because the place was really nice, I saw the potential in there. It's, it's very different from what uh, Backdoor is offering, what uh, Norm can offer, but it's, uh, it has a totally different clientele. It's, uh, uh, it's a bit, it's in a different neighborhood also. So I felt like, okay, this is something that I could try working on that's different from what I'm, doing now uh, with, with Backdoor. So yeah, so I, I basically took over the bar, uh, got, I got a guy in, uh, we redid the menu, and yeah, so it, it's still, it's still in, in, in its infancy, I would say, because it's only been a couple of months like, uh, since we took over. We took over and we partnered them in February, so it's only made maybe in three months, but I can start to see like, the kind of customers that would come, the kind of customers that we would serve, and I think yeah. we're slowly working our way towards making it uh, better, I guess. No, it's, it, like I say, the photos look lovely. It looks beautiful. I'm just skipping through the Instagram at the moment because I'll, I'll put a screen grab of, uh, of some of the Instagram pages so people can see uh, how amazing everything <laughs> you're involved in. I, I uh, cannot take credit for, for, the, the, for that place. It's, <laughs> it's really well done. I mean, these guys <laughs> sell furniture for a living, man. They know of how course. to make a place yeah, look yeah. good. Yeah. But but it's not like the rest of your Instagrams don't look amazing as well. See, it, it flows. It looks nice. You've Thanks. chosen to be involved in something that's very tasteful, which which obviously comes back to, to your taste. This is something that we uh, I talked about with uh, the, the when I mentioned the Soul Emporium, uh, my client, 
Tarin from Singapore. I, yeah. I remember the very first conversation I had with him was at my bar as well. So he, he mentioned something about um, Penang being very complacent when it comes to uh, the quality of things. Well, not besides the food, we're talking about branding and the creative side of things, yeah. right? It, I think for some reason, because the, the overall expectation of, of Penang people uh, is not as, as high as you would say in KL or bigger cities like Singapore or Melbourne or Shanghai, um, you know, people would settle for, okay, you know, if, if, even if the design for this isn't as nice, if this branding isn't as creative, people will still buy my stuff. So, okay, yeah. yeah, so the producers, the makers, the businesses, they tend to be complacent. They don't go and do their best. And so you have this general feeling that things in Penang could be better, designs could be better, uh, the, the creative scene could be better, but people just don't do it. So, which I really agreed with him. You know, like, uh, you can go for, you can do 100%, but because your business will still be good, even if you're at 60%, people just settle to be at 60%. Right? Yeah, so, I think, yeah, that's a constant problem in business. Like, people, as soon as they make money, they stop caring very easily. Yes, like, that's When they true. get to the point where they're like, yeah, making money, all right, I don't have to do anything else. All my energy goes into what's making me money. Yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> Maybe it's also because like the, it's not as competitive as it is in the bigger cities, but um, we, we, I can kind of only see like the standards like probably in uh, cafes because they are so highly saturated. So you can see that people put in a bit more effort in making their cafes stand out. But in every other business, I felt that, I always felt that things could be better, whether it's your logo or the name of your business or the design of your, of your shop. Or you know your leaflets, the flyers that you put out, all those things. You know, as a designer, you really feel that you know there's so much potential in this brand, in this business, to do better. But they don't because you know people will still buy their stuff regardless of how well they design, which I feel yeah. is a pity. Right? You know, it's it's one of those things that you only realize as a designer because you know you take into account like all these little details. Yeah. So there was something that I really wanted to change because in the grand uh, scheme, the bigger picture of things. Um, if you don't improve your quality of work, um, designers from Penang, creative folk in Penang, they aren't going to make much money compared to people in KL because you cannot say that, oh, designers get paid so much in KL and Penang, they don't get paid just as much because you got to see the, the level of work that people are used to. That if makes, they're used, yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, of yeah so it, yeah. it's like, it's basically for, for a bigger <laughs> cause where you have to, you start by improving the quality of your work and then you start to demand uh, a better uh, pay to justify the work that you're doing, you know, or otherwise yeah. you'll you always be at that level where you're getting paid peanuts for shitty design work. That's Sorry. the thing. I think, <laughs> no, no, you're like, that, that makes complete sense to me. And I think that it's, it's the balance of, uh, of how much of it is in a city that matters sometimes. Yeah. Because I guess then it's, it's, yeah, it's the on. quality of work, the quality of work that, that, uh, that kind of, uh, you have to raise the quality of work to raise the level of expectations from the Absolutely, general yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And it's something that I wanted to talk to you about, and, and we'll keep it brief because uh, I know that we're going over the hour now, yeah. and I do like right. to keep them sort of hourish long. Um, but I wanted to touch on, on how much of, um, how many venues, for example, with great design and, and people making things look a certain way is necessary within a city before it goes the wrong way almost. Um, some of our favorite places whilst visiting Asia were probably mm. Penang and uh, Hanoi in Vietnam. And I think the reason for those two is because they still have a big identity that is, is very much, in Penang's case, Malaysian. You, you've got the great food and and you've got the streets that look like they're from Penang, and mm -hmm. that is yet combined perfectly with cool places that you can go have a cocktail or a good burger place. Mm -hmm. But at what point does that become oversaturated, if that makes any sense, and it loses the actual identity of, of the place? I feel the problem with Penang isn't, <coughs> it isn't so much about the oversaturation, because um, as, you, as you know, like Penang cafes have always been a thing for the past I don't know, almost 10 years now, no, like seven, six or seven years. There are always new cafes, but then um, it, always, it always levels out itself. Like with every new cafe that opens, uh, there's bound to be 
one that isn't doing so well and closes. Uh-huh. So the, the risk of oversaturation uh, is there, yes, but then, you know, it wouldn't be to the point whereby, you know, it's, it's we're done with this, you know, this, this, whole, this whole cafe market isn't going to work. It's not because it will still go on because there's always a new one that's replacing one that isn't doing so well and things like that. But yeah, yeah. I, fe- I feel the I, main problem that Penang... Oh, sorry, you were saying? I, I was also thinking more about the, um, the fact of Penang having charm as, as something that's got a very Malaysian identity. Uh, and as, you, as opposed to... When you lose it, right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So do, do you get to a point where it looks like London, for example, and no one wants to go anymore because there's so many cool cafes and cool clothing shops and... Because obviously you were one of the first, which makes Penang stand out as different. But as soon as if everyone else I wouldn't does take it, that credit. <laughs> but, do you know, but you know what I mean. In terms I know what of, you mean. It, it, um, there wasn't lots of places doing it. It's not like you walk down the street and every other shop is doing what you do. I'm but, I'm beginning to feel your sentiment in this. Uh, not from a the the kind of businesses that operates. Not the kind of not that point of view, but rather the the construction of things. Because right now, I'm seeing Penang is really becoming uh, much like Singapore. Not to say that yeah. Singapore is bad, but you really lose that heritage charm of Penang because um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of these uh, big companies, uh, they are just buying up all the old houses in Penang and they buy it by the block. They don't buy, indiv- they don't buy individual units. So they buy the whole block of uh, the old pre-war terrace houses. And yes, they, they refurbish it. They redo the whole place, but then they all look the same. They're all given a fresh yeah, coat exactly. of white paint. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, yeah. Same aluminum windows, same grill doors throughout the whole... It used to be different colors. Every house has a different color. It has a different window. It has a different door. And now we lose that identity. And it's sad because it, <coughs> they really have no choice. The people who live there, they don't own the place, right? Yeah, They've been exactly. renting there. They've been renting it, doing their craft, uh, there's a shoemaker. There's a there's a glass glassmith. One fellow that does uh, signages, handcrafted signages, and due to due to two things: one, they don't have uh, they don't have uh, anyone to take over their business, <coughs> and number two, because they do not own the unit, they are forced to move out because the owner obviously wants to give up that money for uh, give up that space for more money, which yeah. is to the to whether it's the Singaporeans or the Chinese or from Hong Kong, all these big companies that have money to spend on uh, real estate in Penang. And all these suddenly become, uh, suddenly everything looks the same. And um, that's when we start to lose our touch. And you're stuck in that conundrum. You don't know if this is progress or this is, you know, do you you say yes to progress or say no because you want to maintain your heritage and, you know, remain as a old school? Yeah. And I don't think it's it's a yes or no type of answer like I think the way you conduct business and I especially saw it in Backdoor Bodega is you need progress you absolutely need progress both in terms like you were speaking of quality of service design Um, you need places that that bring in younger audiences who are into into cool forward-thinking things but you also give throwbacks to your culture you we talked about how many different types of local food and cuisine and how many local ingredients do you not reference in your cocktails like that in itself is combining the old with the new to create something that is that's still harmonious with yeah. with what Penang is I try I, I feel like the difference between Penang and uh, I don't know maybe it's just me being biased but because I grew up in Penang and Penang is a very very small city you are used to seeing craftsmen around town, like if you need something to be fixed, you need something to be done, you know someone somewhere that does it. You go there, they're sitting out right out of their, on the corridor of their shop, they're doing it, whether they're fixing a trishaw, yeah. whether they're building a table, a chair. You know, you see these people and I, I think as Penangites, we take it for granted because we see it so commonly. But I don't think maybe in KL or in bigger cities, you don't see it that, that much. So that's why they are a bit different. But from Penang, we are used to growing up amongst all these craftsmen. So we as uh, as people as we grow up we are we are more open to doing things on our own of knowing how to do things on our own and creating stuff and building things in a way i guess whether it's a recipe whether it's you know whether it's making your own uh like tables like carpentry and things like that or you know cooking your own opening your own food store i guess it's easier to be inspired when you're from penang 
than say if you were in KL because you aren't really uh, you weren't uh, exposed to all these things as often as you would absolutely be, you would absolutely yeah yeah and and that's how you mentioned Singapore before I think Singapore is an incredible city that works so well and it's so safe yes. and clean it's it's incredible yes. but if you're looking to be inspired it's maybe not the place to go if you're looking to be inspired as someone specially coming from from london or from any of the big cities in the west you yep. go to singapore and it feels very similar just cleaner and and smoother everything That's works better true. but true. you go to penang or you go to hanoi or you go to even it's starting to lose it a bit but even chiang mai at the moment in thailand Mm-hmm. And you still get aspects of how hardworking and resilient people are. And it's not by big companies with huge buildings. It's actually people starting their own businesses and working very hard. Yes, I guess they have. Like these people, they have, they have their own goals. Like they are content with their own achievements. They find success in doing things like this rather than, you know, climbing the corporate ladder or, you know, making a lot of money or, you know, things like that. Like, they find they find they find the sense of achievement in doing uh, their own business, you know, growing yeah. their own brand, like being like basically crafting their own, uh, doing uh, doing their own craft, so to speak. Which I think is is something that we might lose if we continue uh, progressing as a as a city, a modern city in Penang. Yeah. yeah, which is a shame because I think that's what makes, for example, all your businesses stand out is the the combination of the two is being inspired by that attitude and yet having good business, like knowing what you learned from, from your time in advertising, like combining those two things, I think is generally the key to success. Yeah, and, and I wish that <coughs> more of that, like I had, I had this conversation with a bartender the other day uh, in KL and it, only then did it dawn on me that uh, there's actually a big problem because I don't see it because I'm always at my bar, you know, I'm, I'm being <laughs> me at my bar, right? But apparently, the, the, there's a problem because there aren't a lot of local people who want to work uh, behind the bar as a bartender or mixologist. So actually, you have like a good 40-50% of bartenders in Malaysia, mostly in KL or even Penang, who are foreigners, right? Wow. They come from the Philippines, they come from Bangladesh. Um, you, you might not think of it as a customer, you don't see it that way. But if you're in the industry, it's going to be a problem because... Uh, Let's say they join a competition and you're supposed to represent Malaysia to go to, uh, let's say, to France for a final, for a cocktail competition final. But then again, you are on a working visa as a Bangladeshi working in Malaysia. How does that, how does that go yeah, around? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of problems because, and the problem stems from no one, no, uh, local people don't want to work in this kind of, uh, this kind of industries because... Again, I don't know whether it's an Asian thing where you have to have a corporate job or, you know, it's not one of those things that we're willing to work hard for. But eventually, we're going to see that shift where for where... And this is just in the, in the bartending industry where you're going to have like more and more foreigners working behind the bar than locals. And then eventually, across all the other industries, it's going to be the same. You know? And I think, like, yeah, that's what happened in the UK. Like, people came in and took over industries that other people didn't want to do. Yeah. And then you, you hit a you hit a climax where then the actual people from that country almost get annoyed and go, wait a second, all these foreigners have this job. And that's what happened in England. Everyone got angry and went, these foreigners have our jobs. And it's like, no, wait a second, you didn't want that job. No one was doing it. And they came in and helped. That's true. I don't have anything against, like, because the guy that I was talking about, I really felt his, I felt his, um, his, his, um, I wouldn't say pain. His disappointment because I mean he's he's Bangladeshi, uh, so he's Muslim, and you know how strict we are in Malaysia about about religion. Yeah. So, like Muslims aren't supposed to to touch or drink alcohol, right? But yeah. he's a bartender. He passionately loves bartending, <laughs> right? He joins the competition, but because of the ruling, like you cannot, uh, you know, Muslims are not supposed to drink alcohol or things like that. He cannot pursue his passion, like even all the way in Malaysia right now. Like he wants to represent. His bar on an international stage, he can't do it for like things like because he's on a working visa, things yeah. like because he's not Malaysian, he doesn't. Which is very sad because you know he's someone that I can relate to. You know we love doing what we do, but then we are, he's restricted by things like this. 
Yeah, you know, that's, yeah. Unfortunately, it's it's one of the issues that needs to be fixed so so badly, and and I don't think it's it's one country doing it wrong. So many countries yep. have got this wrong, and yet it seems so difficult for everyone to align and get their shit sorted and let people be happy and do what they want to do and travel exactly. where they want to travel. It In an ideal a, world. <laughs> I know, it seems like such a simple thing. Like, oh, I like Penang. I'll stay in Penang. But no, you can't yeah. do that because someone <laughs> says you can't. Yep. Right. Ah, it's life. I think that uh, we have come to a point where we should probably end the conversation and at some point in the future, I'm sure we can do it all yes. over again and talk about yes. lots more things. Because I was planning on talking to you about food and places to visit in Penang and all this stuff. Oh, but yeah. um, <laughs> you're just too interesting to talk to, Jen. Just I'm sorry if to I talk, talk too about. much. Right? No. <laughs> I, I tend to ramble a lot. That's exactly what I want for a podcast, is people who ramble and make me talk less. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Oh. Right. Well, thank you so much for having me, though. Like, it's, it's, uh, it was a pleasant surprise. No, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure, and I've really enjoyed catching up with you. And I will obviously link to all your businesses so that people can uh, go to Penang and meet you in person. And likewise, sure I, will, I will shamelessly uh, plaster my voice all over the internet <laughs> wherever I can so that they come to this site. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Cheers, Shen. Thanks, Liz. Take care. The heritage and the people. Thank you so much for checking out that episode of Promote the Hell Out of It. I hope you enjoyed it because I really enjoyed having that conversation with Shen. He is such an interesting guy to talk to. And in fact, we did not cover everything I wanted to ask him. I don't want to, to make the conversations on the, on the podcast too long because I want to keep them interesting and keep it flowing. Um, but I will be chatting with him again because actually uh, the night after I had the conversation with him, there was uh, some storms in Penang. And not any of his venues or establishments, um, but another one of our favourite establishments out there got flooded and has had to shut down. So I want to talk about that. I want to see if, if there's a Kickstarter going for, for helping them out in any way. And I will obviously place that in the description below if there is. Um, but yeah, if you enjoyed that episode, please make sure to subscribe to the channel. But also to check out some of the other conversations I've had. Uh, some of my favourites so far... Uh, one with Kelly Kemp, where I talk about Kurdistan Solidarity, uh, co-ops, uh, intermittent fasting. I have another one with uh, the incredible Jack from Waco, who is also uh, a writer for Vice magazine. He's written for Sidewalk, and we talk about religion, spirituality, conspiracy theories. Um, those are two that come that come to mind. Um, another run that was really good was with uh, with Sarah. Uh, where we talk about how to get involved in the street art community and how to collaborate with other artists. So yeah, make sure to check out some of the other episodes and thanks for listening. It's been a while, it's been a while. I think, I think it's the, the heritage and the people. The heritage and the people. I'm good, I'm good. It's been a while, it's been a while. I think, I think it's the... The heritage and the people. The heritage and the people.